Music lovers, you are now tuned in to yet another exciting adventure with us here on the Scotland. This time, your host Kevin, as usual. So happy to have you hanging out here. I hope you guys are all safe. You're sane. You're sanitized. You're all that. That your uh, your families are okay, and that uh, we're just getting by. You know, we're getting in our routines here. Uh, we're under a stay-at-home order in Wisconsin, and what that means is that uh, you should be inside listening to this and staying the fucking home. Because if we stay at home now, then we're going to be okay on, on the back end of this, or at least a little, a little better, a little stronger in this fight. Uh, that is, that's the PSA portion of this episode. Uh, this is a great episode for a couple of reasons. One uh, is just get, we're talking to Michael Hasslin, Hass from Mail the Horse. Uh, always a pleasure. But you know, we talk about during this crisis how we feel disconnected and stuff. And I realize there are a lot of people that I hadn't. Uh, connected with in quite a long time that had been by the basement before. I met these guys when they uh, came through D.C. on tour, and uh, we just put them up and uh, hung out and I think we listened to a bunch of, like, Graham Parsons, drank a bunch of whiskey, uh, and uh, did that a few times. And, and they're all, uh, everybody in this band are just, there's a great bunch of dudes, super talented, who have gone on to do other things to support their music career. Uh, some playing in other bands, some, but you, you're going to hear all about it. But at any rate, I realized I hadn't caught up with uh, Hess for a while, so I wanted to make sure to do that. He is holed up at the Jersey Shore uh, thereabouts uh, right now. Got out of New York City just in the nick of time, as it were, and uh, making music and really trying to figure out where we go from here, or where he goes from here, uh, and where the, the band goes from there, uh, especially considering their their recent release, Mail the Horse, came out, and there's obviously you can't have a tour. you can't. There's a lot of things you can't do, but we're going to talk about that. So that's our show today, uh, me catching up with uh, my buddy Hess. If um, you haven't heard them, I want to take care of that right now. I want to get you acclimated to this fantastic band. If you like Deer Tick, The Rolling Stones, if you like Faces, if you like the band, if you like Grand Parsons, any of that, that's all in here. Uh, these guys have studied the Bible of rock and roll and come back with uh, some the, a next chapter in it, if you will. So settle in, going to hit you with the track Gimme Gimme off Mail the Horse's eponymous album. And uh, after that, we're going to hang out with uh, Hess. Cool? Cool. Here you go. Here's Gimme Gimme. Quit 
Cheers. Cheers. Um, you want to know something funny about Wisconsin that you wouldn't have never guessed? Nobody would ever guess this. You can't get alcohol delivered. Which is the one of the last remaining states where that's a thing. I think so. I think so. I think yeah. it's uh, it's a it, it's also, but it's also a state that runs on alcohol. So I don't understand why uh, this is the case. Yeah, but it is. Uh, you ready? Yes, sir. Cool, man. Uh, Michael Heslin, it has been quite a while. Last time I saw you and your friends was in my basement, I think. And what was that like? Three years ago? Four years ago? I don't think it's it was been a four. I feel like it was probably twenty seventeen. Okay. So whatever that was. Were we in the Trump era? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, okay. Our, okay our, yeah. our like heavy touring kind of ended around twenty like spring of twenty seventeen. Okay. That's when we kind of stopped like touring as much as we had been. Twenty fifteen, sixteen, seventeen is when we were on the road a fair amount. Right. And you guys, uh, wh- why, what was the reason for the slowdown in touring? Well, we did what I wouldn't recommend anyone do that is doing a lot of touring, which is stop touring. We stopped. <laughs> yeah. We yeah. stopped. You know what I mean? Um, and when we were, when we were, when we were really cooking there um, on the road a lot, we were doing well. But our our lives were taking a back seat, and uh, so was so was recording. You know, um, I think that it was a two part reason. One was that people started getting slightly a little older, needing to kind of get their get their lives together at home a little bit more, and also just we wanted to make a record and take our time with it, and. Um, you know, I look back on that time and kind of think about how he probably took a little bit too long, but it is what it is. Um, it yeah, it, it's it's weird, and um, I don't know a lot of the inner workings of the male of the horse thing, but it seems I always thought of you guys as more of a almost a community. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there definitely you could definitely tell there is a brotherhood between you and the guys in the band, uh, um, but. Uh, that formed it. it was the Gates Hotel. Was that the place? Yeah, we call yeah. it Gates yeah. Motel. Yeah, Gates Motel, uh, which we'll, we'll we'll get to. But you know, I there, I would see all these events that you guys were playing and doing what uh, a lot of musicians uh, honestly don't ever get the opportunity to do. But you were all playing gigs and all playing separate gigs and doing like your Christmas shows, and had built up this whole thing that like. Even if you came, went out on tour and only like 10 people showed up, 20 people showed up to a gig, you could go back home to New York and you had a whole like ecosystem. Am, am I reading that right? Yeah, I think, and I think that that's become even more evident just because, and we'll get to this, but what's happened with the band lately, um, it's become even more of just like a extended family of sorts. Um as a, even more than even a, a band, even and I, 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 when I told told somebody else this kind of recently. Um, you know, it's like the relationship with the bandmates is more like a brother. It's like a brother relationship, even more than a friend at this point. You know what I mean? It's like it's just literally family, more yeah, more yeah. so than people in my own actual family. You know. <laughs> As so often happens. I mean, and, that, our, and, and, our, that, and our fights we have aren't aren't friend fights. They're like fam- like you would with a family member, you know. What I mean? <laughs> right, right. So you guys, you guys, uh, sort of hold up up there, got off the road, and went to make an album. And uh, the result was the self titled album. Mm-hmm. Uh, was that sort of to reestablish you guys? Just call it Mail the Horse, or was this sort of like a, a culmination for you? Well, it would at the time. We weren't planning to call it that at all. I think that, um, you know, a lot of things happened with the making of the record. We had a, a lot of big plans to go a lot of different places. We almost went to Mexico, rented a house. We almost recorded it down in Atlanta with our friend Drew Vandenberg um, uh, at Chase Park. We almost, we almost did a bunch of stuff. We ended up just doing it in Donnie's house his old house that he used to have upstate and he engineered it 
And um, yeah, that's an area. And Donnie and I produced it ourselves, which we hadn't planned to do. But uh, once we got started doing it, um, we all kind of realized that um, this was the most pure uh, and idealized form of, of the band recording in this way, um, recording, you know, live to tape and just doing it ourselves. And that's why we wanted to call it Neil the Horse. Yeah, you guys, I mean, over what was it, an album and a, and a bunch of EPs, you guys built this like vibe and um, I've, it, it varies anywhere from like, like on the nose 70s, like XL Main Street Stones to Graham Parsons and all over the place. But I think what drives a lot of your music is uh, this weird, like I, what I assume is just a hook making machine that you guys have hooked up in the studio <laughs> <laughs> because your, your stuff is, is so like perfectly put together and often, you know, you, people don't appreciate anymore how just the construction of a great song and how that can make you feel. And like the first thing when I, drop the needle on this thing i was just like holy shit man this is like if you don't tell me what era this is from or who this is by i'm just like man these songs fucking kill is that like something are, are you writing a lot of the songs for this are you guys all working together and writing the songs or how how is how are you doing this so perfectly <laughs> um well thanks for saying that uh i think that what we used to do is that we would we've all lived closer together, first of all. So a lot of the time in the old days, we would uh, just be like, hey, come over and like hear this, you know, riff I'm working on, or here's this half song, you want to finish it together right now? Um, you know, don't let all live near each other anymore. So that changes. What we did for this album was that both Donnie and I had, because of partly because of geography, him being up, up in, um, you know, Dutchess County, New York, and me being down in Brooklyn still at the time. Um, we both demoed the songs individually heavily going into this album. Like I had, I had had Sweet Red Lies like fully fleshed out in a demo just with me playing every instrument, you know, just like, um, like a dumbed down version of it. Uh, um, spinning wheel. Uh, Kid Gloves. I had all those songs like really locked in. And then like other songs like Pitch and Ha and Gimme Gimme were older songs from like 2015 that we were gonna, that we tried to put on Planet Gates but didn't make it. And then we just kind of figured we'd get back to them someday and we luckily did. Your version of that, your demo of that, what, did, did that have that sound? Yeah, I mean, the demo I had for Kid Gloves was ended up being pretty similar to the version we recorded. Um, it just, you know, it had it had all the hooks, um, but yeah, it didn't have the, the same exact feeling, but it, ha it had most of the bones there. And, you know, I, I'll, to get back to your point about the hooks, I mean, I, I'm like, that's my main... I write everything around hooks and I write everything around melodies that I sing into my phone when I'm driving. Um, at this point, like I used to have a literal tape recorder, like one of those handheld ones back in the, you know, when I was a kid and first starting writing songs and then I changed the iPhone, obviously. So I just, I'm, I've always been a big voice memo guy. Um, I don't, I hardly ever just like pick up a guitar 
or like sit at the, sometimes still, but like I hardly ever like sit down and just write something right then. Like I come up with ideas when I'm like, you know, living my life and then I flush them out later. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, no, I do know what you mean. I that's kind of how, mean. that's kind of how I do it. And that's why like I've right now I'm forced to kind of reinvent that process a little. Cause I'm not letting my life. I'm just sitting here. Like this is my life is right here in this room. I got like guitars. I got my, like, you know, I got my, software like scene going i got I, i'm just sitting here so i'm uh i'm actually recording right now yeah you know it, yeah that that idea that songs come to you like as yeah you're just living your life and then here's this thing i think a lot of people uh why they don't necessarily get that hit song or even a good song out of it is because they um put it aside or don't record it don't like just even talking into your phone just even like humming something like that yeah. don't pick it back up so that that's a huge part of songwriting uh, i think people like you that are, are really successful at that uh, and honestly most songwriters i know that's how they do it you know it's just like you have to if you wake up at 5 30 in the morning and you have a melody you don't know where it's going but you have to get it down because you won't remember it dude i do that i do that i i woke up the other night and uh, the song i just finished i came up with in my sleep and like left the room and like tiptoed. So Jillian wouldn't wake up and went downstairs and like sung the melody on my phone, went back to sleep the next morning. I was like, Oh yeah, that and I wrote the whole song that morning. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like that. Happens. Yeah. No, when, when, you know, that component you've got down strong, when you are thinking about hooks though, do you, are are you drawing on history? Like, why do you think that you and other members of the band are so good at getting these in here? Yeah, I think about a band that's an actual damn band and can actually play and can actually entertain, give the people what they want. That's you guys because of that ability to do the hook. So when you're thinking about these things, are do you know that like yeah, that's gonna work? Um, I usually do, yeah. And I think that the other guys do a little, but I I feel like I go into these all these songwriting processes alone and with the band, like knowing that something's going to be hot. And I'm all about just like chasing it until it's like until you have caught it and you've like imprisoned it and like, you know, have it out on parole. You know, like I, I like to like really chase these things down. Is uh, who's for that for the concept of the hooks who's your like most who, who are you ripping people off? who are you ripping off <laughs> i well i gotta be honest with you it's like one of these things where when i'm in a real sweet spot with writing and i feel like i'm in the one currently i'm working on like new songs right now um and when we were when i, when I was writing the songs i wrote i contributed for the mail the horse record I just purposefully don't listen to music for the most part. <laughs> I I listen to um, I listen to jazz. I listen to um, classical. I try I listen. You know, I try not to listen to a lot of music when I'm when I'm in a writing period. When I'm not in a writing period, or I'm not like not, it's not really flowing. I listen to music all the time, but it's like I purposefully try not to have too many things influence me directly. That said. You know, the Stones are my favorite band of all time, and everyone knows it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Everyone knows it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, do you do you ever like do something in that mode of like I'm purposely not paying attention, and then listen back to it and be like, ah, oh, shit, I just ripped off like Randy Newman or something. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, like you said, and other people have said this too. Faces, tattoo you. These are like the that album specifically. I was listening to a ton two years ago when we were writing this album, like uh, going into writing it like that summer before when I like, I wrote uh, Magnolia and backlash on the same day. Um, and then later on that summer, it was when I first started writing. That was all turning into 2017 was when I started writing the songs for the Mail of horse album. And, uh, like Throw Shade, Kid Gloves, that stuff, like those came out, those were written the same week. I know some people that can throw shade on the fragile wings of rock and roll. And I get my main man low on the internet radio. But I still get my ego. And I get my girl chance away. 
That's how a lot of the, like I am a lot of the time. It'll be like a month will go by, nothing will be written, and I'll be cramming music. And then one week will happen, and I'll write four songs, and I won't listen to a single bit of music the whole time. You know what I mean? It's like I I, I do know what you mean. Uh, I actually just started recording some stuff myself, and uh, and situationally that happened. You know where I, I was? I put up I posted up like five demos in like a week, and it was just literally after I got the my software situation. Mm. And uh, and then uh, and then all this shit hit, and then it was like, huh? Maybe I'm not gonna. Maybe I'm not thinking in that brain a little bit. Yeah. Um. So you got to exercise it, you know, when when it hits you. Um. You know that actually gets us to something I want to talk about. You know, this is um. Long, for a long time, the music in, industry has been kind of a dumpster fire. Uh, now, <laughs> <laughs> now we don't know where it is. But before uh, this crisis hit. You guys uh, utilized a platform called Pledge Music, which yeah. was a brilliant, uh, in theory, a brilliant platform where people could support you. This is a model that I think a lot of artists now are, are going to have to figure out. But back then it was, I don't know, like I would hear from artist friends who were like, I don't feel like asking people for money. I don't, there are all these reasons why not to do this. And, um, but the reality is, in theory, that you can get your fan base to support you. And they did. Uh, but then um, we know that Pledge Music uh, went all kinds of wrong. Right. And left you guys in the lurch. So when that happened, what was, you know, you guys had intentionally come off the road. You're, you're making an album. You're, you're basically going into the next phase of this band. What was you get, your first reaction to like, fuck these guys what are you doing well we had a great thing going with them at first um i don't want i'm not going to use any names obviously but uh we had a rep in the beginning we um we were, were talking to them i was talking to them weekly at first just like how is this going to work out what are the goals like here's you know how we do it and all the infrastructure was being built um, myself and our former manager, Sarah, we're doing that. And then, uh, somewhere along the line, they just kind of like, you know, obviously the first thing to go when you're, um, treading, tr started to tread water, uh, financially is you lose your staff. And all of a sudden there was just no one working there right when we were about to like make the record, like you couldn't even get in touch with anybody anymore. Um, so that was hard. And then yeah, we, we, they, we got half of the money. We raised almost $11,000, uh, which, you know, for just a random indie band is not bad. I mean, you know, we how's were, that, how's that as far as a recording budget for a random indie band? Pretty good. Uh, uh, I mean, for us, for what we wanted to do, it would have been enough to like produce the album correctly, you know? Um, it was not, you know, we, we were, you know, you can't really do like, uh, any sort of marketing with that budget, but we, we were going to make the record and, you know, had everything plotted out with that, with those funds for sure. Um, and we got half the money and we used it, uh, for production. And then our plan was to get the rest of the money the second half of it and use that for distribution, physical buying vinyl and all that stuff. And right around the time when we finished the album and it was time to get that piece of it going, that's kind of exactly when pledge went belly up. Um, and it was really a communication issue. Uh, you know, we, like you said, people, you know, we are one of those bands that has a hard time asking for money. You know, I, I was I was really skeptical at first, but this felt like a thing where it's basically just like a store and it's clean cut and it's not really like, you know, it's more just like everyone buys the album. Unfortunately, what happens with that is that, you know, what happens is that people just gave us money and then we never got it. So that money just doesn't exist. That money went toward paying one of these staff members that ended up getting fired anyway or whatever. You know what I mean? It just, we just, our, fan, our fans just paid some someone that were used to work at pledges rent for two months. You know what I mean? 
Right. Right. Yeah, I do know what you mean. So, I mean, and how how did the uh, uh, fans react when when you told them? Um, a lot of people were really understanding. We did the best we could in terms of getting people what they ordered. Like, we didn't have like the fun. Like, I, we didn't have the funds to like do everything. Um, and we went out of pocket for a lot of it. Um, as a result, uh, but we did uh mail out as many of the records as we could um and yeah we we did our best i mean it, it's just the infrastructure of pledge completely fell apart too so the website was gone i mean we just like lost stuff you know it just got lost in the shuffle and it, and it got it just it was a, it was a mess and it's kind of still is it bugs me still still to this day sometimes yeah, no, it's it's still a mess. I know Benji uh, was the one who was trying to like fix it and stuff, and you know, he can't because of limited involvement. But um, you know, in aside from the uh, the sort of tragedy or catastrophe of that falling apart, when you saw uh, people willing to support you and being like, "Here's some money, do this thing," did you get closer to like? being like okay with that of just going directly to fans and like asking for money like that. Cause the, yeah. cause the model, the model is like shows like you, I got to work. I got to do the show. But the reality is I think people are out here like, fuck yeah, I'm going to swing you 20 bucks. I got 20 bucks. I think that, um, when like people that are around my age and older were starting, starting out doing music stuff, or trying to be just working in any creative field or any of this kind of stuff. Like what happens now, what's what the standard is now is that there's like direct fan involvement, like engaging with your fans directly on socials. That stuff is just such a, it's such a far cry from how things used to be. I'm still just getting used to it. And I think that the pledge thing, if there was any positive to come out of it, it was that um, I'm learning now that direct to fan engagement is super important. And I think that, I am more okay with that model for sure. Yeah. I, and I, and I, and I think that going forward, I know now what I have to do and what I think a lot of people feel that same way. Um, uh, am I awesome at it? I'm like, no, but I'm like trying. Nobody you know? is. Yeah, no, no, nobody is. Some we, people are awesome at it, man. Some people are. Awesome ah, no, you're right. We, we've got a Patreon and we get like 14 bucks a month Yeah, <laughs> because we just don't do shit. It's just like, well, you know, I don't know what to do. I don't. You don't want to see me hanging out with the cats. You don't want to see me drinking bourbon. You know, like there's yeah. something exciting. Well, going you know on. what the thing is though, and like people have told me this, and I've had a hard time coming to grips with it. Is that people do want to see the goofy shit. Like I think that they they really do. Like fans and people online want to see everyday like BS, and I'm just not good at sharing that with people. I think I need to get better at it. Um, there's people that are awesome at it and they're the ones that have the most followers. You know what I mean? It's that's just the way the world works. But, but for real, dude, you, you've seen the cats and you've seen me around the cats. They don't want to see that shit. It's possible. The cat market is oversaturated. It is possible. It is. So, so that sort of gets us to where we are now. Um, you know, that was pre, pandemic now we are in the middle of a pandemic uh there's a, a report that uh honestly I, I sort of subscribed to this newsletter uh that there may not be live concerts until 2021 you know the size of the concerts is what is what people are talking about you know obviously not like a stadium concert um what does that mean for people you guys went off the road but you did play a lot of shows around new york you i think you toured with a bunch of people uh you know not not in your own band just sitting in on keys so so what's that reality for you guys all looking like because i know like uh like it was brendan has a uh some printing company now so it's like there's there's you guys you guys grew up man <laughs> <laughs> but, but what what's that looking like when you know that it is a potential source of income and you love it well, from a, on a large scale, it's a huge. If that's the case, it would be a huge bummer. Um, you are right. I've become being a sideman and a uh, touring sideman is a piece of my income that I would miss out on if there were no more bigger concerts. 
Um, and, and mail the horse would miss out on too if venues remain closed, even like the smaller 300 and less cap ones that we normally play. Um, that would, that would be a big issue. Uh, I'm hopeful that venues will reopen sooner than that and at least, and do like a half capacity thing. Um, there seems to be some chatter about that also for sporting events too. I feel like there's so much big money tied up in, um, promoters and you know i i just i don't i don't see live nation allowing that to happen in any way i think that they'll do their they'll like literally kill people in order to stay alive granted and, and it's and it's a problem and it's a problem because i think the live nation will be the only people left standing after this really you know um maybe i i'm of the mind uh to places like right up the street from us where i wanted you guys to play uh cactus club is a, a local literally just bought it. She worked there for years. She bought it, and so and literally maybe like a month after that, and the whole staff changed over. Like this is uh, they they're now shuttered, and they're trying to figure out how to navigate this whole landscape and stuff like that. Uh, the idea of uh, reduced capacity, I think, is fascinating because if you can get out, you can have like you know twenty five people in a room, and and that might work. Uh, you know. I have talked to people, they're doing a live streaming like festival. Uh, there's a lot of technology there where, where people can look into um, not necessarily like Instagram videos, but like real platforms. So you get a band that is, they put them on the stage and they play and that's 10 bucks on a Friday night um, to keep the lights on as it were. Uh, but I, but I think in regards to like the larger, problem is the these these monoliths of promotion and everything and like some someone needs to step in whether it's the government or whether it's uh, just some billionaire i mean that's fine for right now and be like you know what we need to preserve this i think that you know it's i think about new york um let's use let's use new york as like a you know model for talking about this at least I think that what you're, what's, what's going to happen is a sort of like a, a cleansing of sorts. Um, some small businesses and venues will close. Other ones will pop up um, because of this. Um, one thing that I think might be really cool byproduct is that DIY spaces might come back, which they're not a thing in New York anymore. Um they haven't been a thing for a few years now. Um, I think, you know, I have this solo tour with a friend of mine, Adam Silvestri. He was a band called Radiator King. <clears throat> we were planning to do a, a, a thing in July together, a, a dual solo tour. And we were thinking about canceling it. Uh, it's not even announced, but we were thinking about canceling it. And then you we were like, well, let's wait, let's wait another few weeks and see because... Maybe by July, at the, at the very least, we can just change it to house shows and do a week of house shows for 15 people at each place. And even that will probably be awesome. And people are going to be starved for that shit by then. I think that you're going to see a lot of that. I think that you know, before the big shows, you'll see a ton of, you'll see a, a lot of streaming and all that and online. So like bigger artists will explore that. Smaller artists are going to explore bringing DIY uh, places back, um, more intimate house concerts. Um, you know, like it might bring back community to music in a way that might, might be nice. And it might be, like I said, kind of a cleansing, um, experience. You know, I, yeah, I actually completely agree with all of that. I think, um, what we are seeing initially and what i hope continues and amplifies is a revaluing of art mm -hmm. a revaluing of bands like yours you know a lot of our listeners might not even have heard of mail the horse but if i put it on they'll be like fuck yeah this rules uh and yeah and that's that's also regional you know we went because of the internet to this like massive like nationwide touring circuit where people were confused why they're from new york but they have like four people show up at a venue in kansas and like that's that's reality though. Like you, maybe you shouldn't be going to Kansas. And I think yeah. bands can re rethink those things and rethink how to how, not just uh, 
just a revaluation of art from the consumer, but bands looking at it and how they uh, enrich their communities, you know, and venues and how that enriches their communities. I know one thing in D.C. that is was solely lacking or sorely lacking was this idea that a band couldn't get a steady gig. And if you wanted a steady gig, that was bullshit because to, you might get overexposed. But a steady paycheck every Thursday, Friday, Saturday night where you just go in like something like you goes in and plays keys and does this and then you get to do that's that that is so integral i think to a solid community and a solid sense of community and yeah i think you're right i think we may see a lot of that uh coming back i just i i my worry is that people will forget about that the people will people will decide that maybe they don't need any of that and then then what yeah <laughs> you know then it's sort of a wasteland for that yeah I, I, I think that there's a danger of that and everything like people are forgetting, but I think like, I mean, I were, me and my girlfriend uh, were laughing our asses off last night watching this show. Like we were, I forget what you're we watching. Oh no, we were watching Mrs. Doubtfire and there's a scene where she's putting away groceries. There's putting away groceries. And yesterday we went grocery shopping, got three weeks worth of groceries. We wiped down groceries with mm-hmm. like, bleach wipes as we put them away and i was like damn like remember just putting away groceries normally <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know, like, I, that's I, like I, i'm gonna ask forget- you something we're forgetting stuff already we, we are i'm gonna ask you something though like i we literally just finally got uh some clorox wipes for stuff yeah we have a mini fridge out in our garage right now i'm not gonna lie uh, once we got them and i was like we got our groceries it's like time to wipe this shit down i felt like a fucking god yeah. <laughs> it's just like yeah. this plastic box of spinach i'm looking at it fuck you dude wipe yeah. it down it's like you got nothing yeah. and you know that's a whole different type of uh neurosis i think but necessary one uh maybe uh but yeah yeah we're forgetting simple stuff like that and um you know it, there is going to be a shift in what is what was important and what isn't mm-hmm. you know and, that, and that's going to be good yeah I mean, I think, like, I, I've been saying that I, to a couple of people, I think that uh, live events and live music will will come back um, when they do in, fo- in force and, like, bigger than ever because I think that people have take, have realized now that they've taken them for granted. Um, people just sat home, did the same thing doing now for the most part uh, <laughs> in a lot of ways. Um, I think that those the people that were just binging Netflix all night every night and not going out to shows, I think now maybe they will. I think that um, you know some things will never come back from this, but I think that shows might actually get stronger in the long run, and hopefully, um, like we said, community and things like that might come back uh, in a way that's been missing. Live music has been a part of our civilizations forever. Like since the beginning, like it's not, you know, this isn't like going anywhere. You may not be able to see Luke Bryant in like a super stadium or something, but fucking you may see a guy, your neighbor, you didn't know he played guitar and he's just like, oh, now he's like, you know what? I decided to start playing guitar in this whole thing and I get out and I'm playing a venue and there's some money in my hat and then we're good to go. Yeah. Um, I mean, it sounds, it sounds lame to say, but like, that's the kind of stuff that will happen. I mean, and, 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 you know, this is we're like experiencing some sort of like a pause and a reset in the way that the great depression was. And I think that maybe people will get their shit together in a new way after this, like they did after the great depression, for example, um, the things go in cycles, you know, like things go in cycles Like we're, this is unprecedented for our lifetime, but this kind of thing is not unprecedented for, for like society at large. You know what I mean? I, uh... That's a that's a tremendous point. I know a lot of people are panicking and uh, and not necessarily handling it well, and and they don't internalize that fact. Like this is not unprecedented. It's yeah. unprecedented in your lifetime, and that is, and I I don't want to pass judgment on somebody who isn't like taking the time to like I guess explore history, but you know if you do, you'll find that you know well. This happened here. This happened here, and and we survived. Some people didn't, and and I I'm, don't mean that to sound crass. So I say that is, that's our humanity. That's our world. That's how we exist. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, so, so you know, the capitalist side of this that drove like the music industry, uh, that's relatively new. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. 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 And 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 needs some retooling in a very bad way. So yeah. I mean, this it's like it ha this music industry as it's as, as it exists now has had kind of like a 30 year, 30, 40 year shelf life. I feel like it kind of big, big companies and big labels, like big, massive corporations being in charge that started in the 80s. Before that, it was like Coke addicts in the 70s. And before that, <laughs> it was before that it was the mob. You know what I mean? Right, right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so. Yeah, totally. I think that I'm trying to take, I'm trying to like, I'm really trying to have a macro zoomed out view of all this stuff. Uh, you know, every 10 years or so, the stock market takes a dump. Every, de every, every, uh, century, something like this will probably happen. Like th things happen, like they really, they, they legitimately happen. And it's weird because especially with millennials, they think that everything's, lollipops and rainbows for the most part because their lives have been like a lot of my friends who are slightly younger than me are having like a real hard time they're just like what is happening it's like well the world's crazy <laughs> is it weird if i say okay boomer that doesn't work does it <laughs> <laughs> um yeah no that, that that's that's 1000 percent right um and you know i think you are that was something i was uh I was wondering about you guys because we we took a trip up through the Hudson Valley and saw it. It's beautiful, and I know you guys are spread out in like rural communities and stuff. Brendan's business, what you're doing, and I was like, yeah, I wonder, like, are these guys going to be okay? What are they doing? And then I saw your live stream the other night, and I was like, oh shit, like Hesta's actually like making the most of it. And and two things, well, three things. One we already mentioned, but uh, you seemed you know, there was a little air of panic, like, what the fuck am I doing? But you seem yeah. like very, like, eventually comfortable, like, oh, this is actually, I just have, this is, there's no, I can't hide behind anything, so I'm doing this. Um, but you also uh, just, why did I never know you love Billy Joel so much? You played <laughs> Vienna, and and look, I we've drank a lot of whiskey together, and I just don't, I don't get it, how this never, never talking about your band did i think billy joel and as soon as i saw you play that i was like that's it man that's i i get a lot of where you're coming from with your your piano and stuff well i'll say this i can owe the um i'll right now i owe it to a show i played in december with a colleague of mine my friend don delego who i just did a tour in the uk with uh about a month ago like we are tour that's a whole other crazy thing I can talk about, but the tour ended right as lockdown started. And it was like, we play this giant show with Jesse Mallon, uh, in London and it was sold out and it was like literally insane that it was even happening because the next day the world ended. But, um, Billy Joel, Don wanted to do a Billy Joel tribute show and I'm his piano player. So a lot of that work came down to just me feeling like doing it or not. And I was like, let's do it. And um, in December, I learned like 25 Billy Joel songs. Before that, growing up, my parents were fans. My uncle uh, is a musician as well and had like a, you know, career in the 80s basically covering Billy Joel. He's from Levittown, like also, you know. Right. So right. I, grew, I grew up I grew up with these people <laughs> in my life loving Billy Joel, playing Billy Joel songs. Um, and... Uh, I never really internalized it that much. It just kind of was, it was around me and I, I learned some songs when I was a kid and all that, but it wasn't until this past year where I like this past fall and winter where I knuckled down and just learned literally 30 village all songs. And, um, I kind of re fell in love with it and realized how it had had a big impact on me growing up. Um, Billy Joel and the Beatles really, you know what I mean? Like at the end of the day, uh, when I was little, like I'm talking about like formative like years, like stuff that's like in my blood, not like stuff I became a fan of when I started like smoking pot. Like I'm talking about like right, right, right. the shit, like in my blood, the shit. you know? Yeah. The, the base DNA of that stuff. And when you were learning this stuff, did you see similarities in your playing and, and the way you write hooks and stuff to him? Because Billy Joel was also pretty good at hooks. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, it's her, yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, the, the guy's a machine of songwriting. Like, there's no doubt. Um, and he's got, like, you know, if you want to talk about hits, the guy's got literally 35 hits. Like, he's got more hits than anybody. Uh, I mean, not everybody, but, you know, he's got as many hits as any of the any of the heavy hitters. He's got more hits than the Stones. He's got more hits than Tom Petty, which is saying a lot. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, yeah. That is saying a lot. <laughs> like... You know, it's crazy. He, I, I learned a lot uh, about myself and my playing style, and uh, a lot about um, songwriting just from that exercise of learning all those all those BJ songs. Uh, and we had a blast performing. And like me and Don, we both are huge fans, and we had a blast performing those songs. Nice. It was yeah, and it it was a. Uh... And Daria said the same thing. It was a lovely performance. Oh, thanks. Like, I love she, Vienna. She, yeah, yeah, Vienna. She was. We were watching it, and she's like, "I thought he drank, just drank whiskey." <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, no, no, Heskin, Heskin, fuck some shit up. And uh, yeah, it was the whole live stream. I don't know if, if it's up, like posted, if you recorded, but it, yeah, it's it fantastic. Thank it you. Like, yeah, it was it was great. If um, you know, during that live stream, you said that you were working on some solo stuff. Yeah. So is that all in this writing spurt that just happened, or was this going on before all this? So, um, good question. I am writing a new album right now and recording as we speak. Um, however, I have a whole solo album in the can currently that I recorded last year with um, my friend Paul Hammer, who has a band called Sevor Ador. He recorded it in Newburgh, New York. Um, Paul produced it and I have just been kind of trying to figure out what to do with it. Um, I wanted to let the Mail the Horse album come out and, you know, we had some shows this part. We had the release show. We had some shows in January and February. We had planned to play festivals this summer. Obviously the release, the album release cycle has been truncated enormously. Um, and I had been planning to release the solo album in 2020, and I still might do it. Uh, I just, I'm trying to kind of, I'm trying to figure that out as we speak, but I have the album done, um, and uh, I'm really proud of it. I mean, Paul is one of my best friends, and he and I really knuckled down on this thing. Um, and I think that I've been nervous about it, partly because it's it's a far cry from what Mail the Horse does it's not a mellow horse album at all um it's me tapping into other influences that i have and um you know it's it's different but it's songs i've that have been really close to me for a long time and um i'm really stoked about it you played one of them i think it's called easy was the name of the song that one is not gonna be on it. It's another. It's a new song I just wrote. But there's I, the songs. No, no. I, the songs I started with in the very beginning. Um, after I played a couple of Mail the Horse songs, there's a song called "I'll Drive." Uh, you can find this stuff. It's on the Facebook page. Um, on my Facebook, you can see the concert if you want to go back and look at it. Um, "I'll Drive." There's a song called "Long Dream." Um, uh, there's a song called "No Delays." Um, I played all those songs. Those are all going to be on it. Um, I don't know what's going to happen and when it's going to come out, but it's coming out. And um, I just kind of have some decisions to make. I mean, I feel like I've been, I had been planning to put out in September and now I feel like it's going to be a total fuck fest this fall of people trying to put out albums. <laughs> so I have, yeah. to des- I have to decide if I want to join the fuck fest or not. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a whole other side of like strategy. Uh but uh, honestly, I can't wait to hear that, uh, and 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 then that will give us a reason to uh, catch up again, Absolutely. sooner rather than later. Um, yeah. So, uh, thanks for hanging out, dude. This is great, and I hope okay, you guys are great safe. to talk to you again. Yeah, and hopefully, in if not in 2020, sometime uh, we'll get you guys out here in Milwaukee, and we can uh, we can hang out, Absolutely. Some eat some food. All right, brother, we're going to take a quick break and uh, come right back. All right.
Big thanks to Michael Hesslin for hanging out. Hess is a uh, great guy. As you just heard in uh, his band, Mail the Horse is a fantastic band. Please get out there and support them if you can uh, in these times. And uh, he's, I think, going to be doing some live streams coming up. So we will put some links out there. If you follow us on Twitter and whatnot, you'll see that uh, come up. And then you can uh, you know, tune in. Uh, donate through a little money in the tip jar and whatnot. Uh, but yeah, and he's, uh, I really hope you heard him talk about a solo album. I hope that gets here sooner rather than later. Cause I have a feeling it's going to be pretty fantastic. So thanks again to Hess. And, uh, more importantly, thanks to you for tuning in. If you like what you heard, uh, what I want you to do is find a, uh, arts entity, a, uh, something in your, your community, somebody you can help out, uh, either with your time or your money, if you're able, uh, as we make it through this whole sort of clusterfuck of a thing, uh, you know, the clubs here, the small clubs here just had a thing called Forward Festival uh, that was uh, Cactus Club, X-Ray RK, and the Cooperage, three absolutely essential, uh, not just music venues, but artist spaces here in Milwaukee. I'm sure that you have places like that in your town, so seek them out, uh, reach out, and see what you can do to help. And that is how we uh, get through it. And that's honestly, we heard us talking about uh, sort of it turning out almost better in the end. Uh, that builds a stronger community and a brighter community and, um, and a more vibrant community. And uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing, seeing where all this goes. Uh, if we can just keep it together and make it through it, which I think we can. So so do that instead of following us on whatever Insta chat, whatever thing. Uh, at any rate, so we're, we're out of here. Uh, we're going to be back in a few short days. Until then, be good to your ears, but be better to your people. We will talk to you soon. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Kenobi!